0: Well, let me uh, welcome you all here, especially those of you that are visiting. Welcome to all of you over in the the venue. Glad you're here. And welcome to all of you watching online and all of that. And I love um, how we use the technology of our day, that we can get the message out. Literally, people all over the United States and all over the world are watching our our gathering right now. And so welcome to, to all of you. In Acts chapter 13, God himself said this about David. He said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That's what God said. God said that about this man, David. And I, I, don't, I don't think there could be a greater compliment than, than that. I think it's something that all of us who name the name of Christ would hope God would say about us. That as God looked at our lives, he would say, that's a man, that's a woman after my own heart. That's a man, that's a woman who really has a desire to live out my, my word. They, they love my word. They, they, they want to live it out. David was a, a great man. And, and the story we're going to look at today, the, the story of David and Goliath, we're going to see one of the, the, the reasons God makes this statement about David. I told you a couple of weeks ago that there are more chapters in the Bible devoted to the life of David than anybody else in the Bible, other than God himself. Uh, his name is mentioned over a thousand times in the Bible. He's without uh, a doubt one of the most important figures in all of, all of history. Now here's what I want to do. I want to lay out this famous story, the story of uh, David and Goliath, kind of like a play, a four-act play. Okay? I want you to imagine uh, you bought some tickets to the Gallo Center. And the story is the story of David and Goliath, and you arrive, you get your parking spot, you walk into the theater, you grab your popcorn, your Pepsi, you make your way in, and and now you have your seat. And you're there for this four-act play, okay? The curtains are closed, all of a sudden the lights start to twinkle a little bit, and all of a sudden the curtain opens, and it's act one. War is on the horizon. The Israelites versus the Philistines. Look at verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 17 if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, all of the notes, I think, or verses will be in your program or they'll come up on the the jumbotrons. They'll even come up on the the screen on your computer. Verse 1 says the Philistines now mustered their army for battle. Saul countered by gathering his uh, uh, Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Beloved, this is going to be good. (laughs) The Philistines versus the Israelites. This would have brought in big dollars if it would have been on pay-per-view. Okay? If they had had pay-per-view back then, I'm gonna tell you right now. Everybody would have bought a subscription to watch this thing go down. War is is on the horizon. For those of you that are WW, you know, F fans, there's that great moment where the announcer says let's get ready to rumble, right? That's just one of those great moments. Everybody knows exactly what it is. That's what's happening right here. And what you have to understand is that uh, the valleys there in Israel aren't like our great, you know, San Joaquin Valley here. You you, you know, if you try to imagine the Philistines on one side and the Israelites on the other side, you go, man, how, how can that possibly happen Uh, The topography there is probably a lot like, uh, imagine Oakdale. And you got some rolling hills and the valleys are very small and and you can imagine up on one side of the valley the Israeli army and on the other side the Philistine army and it would be really easy for them to talk and and to communicate to each other. I actually have a picture of me at the Valley of of Elam. And, We haven't stopped there in the last three or four trips, but we used to, and you you, you could miss it as you're driving. There's no, uh, you know, there's no big sign up as you're driving down the road there in Israel. There's not a uh, a gift shop, Uh, you, you could drive right by it, but what we do, or what we have done is, all of a sudden, we'll pull the bus over like we've done here. People get out, and they wonder where we're at, and we're in this little tiny valley, and I tell them to open their Bibles to First Samuel chapter 17, and I read the story. In fact, um, my first time there, I, I picked up five stones, and I got this one right here, and I'm pretty sure this is the one. And I, I, you know, I said, Lord, you know, just direct me. To the right stone, and and I picked this one up, and there's a little bit of red on it. I I think if I could do a DNA test, (laughs) there would be some uh, Goliath's blood on that thing. And I actually have this picture right here uh, in my office, and this stone is right next to it. And I don't look at it all the time, but obviously this past couple of weeks, especially this last week, I picked this stone up, and I've been carrying it around with me. Just had it in my pocket. And it's a great reminder of this story. So here we've got this war. You've got the Philistines on one side all camped out. You, you got the Israelites on the other side, they're all camped out. And you can tut, you know, cut the, 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 the tension with a knife. This is gonna be some battle. now. One of the, 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 the truths, one of the great truths of the Bible is that we as believers, like the Israelites, have an enemy. You see, the Bible tells us that at the very moment you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, a, a lot of things happened. Number one, your sins were forgiven. Your body became the very temple of the Holy Spirit. You became a part of God's family. You're one of his children. When you die, when you take your last breath, your next breath is going to be in glory with the the Lord. And the list goes on and on and on. But there's one other major thing that took place when you gave your life to Jesus, and that's this. You picked up an enemy, a real enemy, a very powerful enemy. Our, Our brother Peter penned these words. Watch out, stay alert, for your great enemy The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And whenever I read this passage to you, I always kind of bring this one little point out, and that is this. Peter said, your enemy. He didn't say the Lord's enemy. He didn't say the missionary's enemy. He didn't say the church's enemy or the pastor's enemy. Now, all those things are true. True. But the Holy Spirit filled Peter, and Peter pinned the very words that God wanted him to pin. Peter, make sure they understand that it's their great enemy. It's a very very personal thought here that you personally have an enemy. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Just like the Israelites in our story, you have an enemy. Every day that you wake up, and you probably don't ever think about it this way, there's your life camped on one side of the valley, there's your family, your children, your grandchildren, your business, whatever it might be, and on the other side of the valley is the enemy. You have one. And he's real and he's powerful, and I think too many times we as believers can forget that. We wake up, we just go about our lives, we make our breakfast, we go to work, we come home, we play golf, we play tennis, we do our crafts, whatever it is we do, and we forget that we have an enemy camped out who's evil, wicked. Last night when you went to bed, your enemy didn't go to bed. Your enemy didn't sleep. Your enemy was simply camped out on the other side of the the valley just trying to figure out how do I mess up your life? How do I mess up your marriage? How do I mess up your children? How do I get to your grandchildren? How do I mess up your parents? How do I mess up your business that you're trying to run in a God-honoring way? And he's pretty good at what he does. In fact, he's really good. In fact, he's got his Ph.D. in messing up people's lives. But we forget about that. And one of the things about a story like this is, yes, it's good for us as followers of Christ to know Jewish history. We need to know about the, the, the great, you know, men and women of the faith. We need to know about the Old Testament. We need to know about the kings. We need to know about Saul and, and David. We need to know that. We ought to have a, a, a knowledge of that. But these stories that God wanted in His Word are also, you know, uh, good, they have application for us today. You don't wake up and face the Philistines, Christian, but you wake up to an enemy nonetheless. And we need to be uh, uh uh aware of that satan is real and he's powerful and he's evil and he hates you he actually hates god but god lives inside of you <laughs> yeah. through his holy spirit so guess what he hates you and we need to be uh, uh, aware of that paul said this in colossians chapter one he said for he That's God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. And the reality is, is that we have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. But Satan is still alive and well. Satan and his kingdom are are still with us, which means this side of of heaven, we've got trouble. We're in a war, Christian. We're in a fight. We're on one side of the valley, and our enemy's on the other side of, of the valley. So in the first act of this play, war is on the, the horizon, okay? The Israelites are on one side of the valley, and the Philistines are on the other side of the valley. Curtain shuts. Whew, man. Whew. You already got your money's worth in this four-act play. But, but curtain's open, and it's now act two. A giant scares a king. Saul fears Goliath. Look at verse four. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He's like the Terminator with a a thyroid problem. I could hardly wait to say that all week long. I just want you to know that. No no joke. Wrote that down on Monday. I giggled in my office. And if I giggle again on Wednesday, it stays in the notes. I just kept giggling every time I saw that. He's like a Terminator with a thyroid condition. (laughs) Look at verse 10. Goliath said, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Wow. Act two is not, not starting very well. Beloved, one of the things that too many Christians miss about this story is that Goliath was meant for Saul. Goliath was never meant for David. Goliath was meant for Saul. I think God was extending grace, another chance to Saul. Saul, here's your opportunity. Trust me, Saul. Believe in me, Saul. The story was supposed to be called Saul and Goliath. Not David and Goliath. God gave Saul the opportunity to be remembered as a hero. This was a great chance for Saul to serve the Lord and trust the Lord and be a hero for the Lord, but, but his fear paralyzed him, and he fumbles the ball. He's sitting in, the, in the, the comfort of his tent. and Down there on the valley floor is this, this Goliath saying, Come on! And there sits Saul. It's really, really the, the tragic point of this story. There sits the king. The king of Israel. Is sitting in his tent. While the enemy's pulling this. There he sits. Now let me say this: There was a good reason why the Israelites or Saul were, were, were afraid. They had a right to be afraid. The Philistines were really good warriors. Their weapons were way better. They put swords on their chariot wheels so that their chariot riders could go through an infantry and mow down all the soldiers, maybe like we might mow down, or you, know, our, our, you know cut through our grass. So they had a good reason to be afraid. And to make things worse, the Philistines also had, you know, this nine or ten foot, you know, tall terminator named Goliath on their side. He was, a, he was a bad man. His armor weighed at least 125 pounds. His spear, the tip of his spear, weighed 15 pounds. That's like having a bowling ball on the end of a stick. That was his spear. Goliath was no joke. He was one bad man. So the Philistines, you know, have this unbelievable army in the first place, and then they got the Terminator. So it's only natural that Saul would be afraid. If he wasn't afraid, that would be weird. The Israelites had a reason to be afraid. You talk to any one of our soldiers in the greatest army on the planet, our army, you talk to any soldier and they'll tell you that when they went into battle, there was, they were afraid. You can't help but be afraid. Bullets flying all around you, bombs are going off, you, nobody's got a crystal ball, you don't know what's gonna happen when you charge the line. It's, it's normal to be afraid. Here you got Goliath taunting the Israeli army. Come on, send somebody out to fight me. But nobody would. They were all frozen in fear because their leader Saul was frozen in fear. And by the way, Saul was no slouch of a warrior. Saul was was a bad man too. He knew how to take his sword out of its you know, sleeve and do some damage. But he's afraid, and his soldiers are thinking to themselves, look, if Saul's afraid, then man, I, I ought to be afraid. If my leader's afraid to pull his sword and go down and you know, rumble, then man, I, I, I ought to be afraid. Beloved, the sad thing about this story is that God is giving Saul a great chance to serve him. God has put this unbelievable opportunity in front of him. But he does nothing, nothing. Here's the modern day application for us. If you think about it, we're we're no different than, than Saul in that God is always putting before us opportunities to serve him, always. And it's up to capitalize on him, it's up to us. God doesn't force anybody to do anything. But God is always putting before his people opportunities to serve him. Some of them are great maybe in, in, you know, in, in the world's eyes. Some of them may be small in the world's eyes, but make no mistake about it, God is always putting before each of us opportunities to serve him, and it's up to us to capitalize on them. It's up to us to be ready to, to seize the moment, if, if you will. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter five, so be careful how you live, right? Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Here's God um, speaking to his people at a church in Ephesus, and there's application to us today, and that is this. Look, Christian here in Modesto, (laughs) there's these opportunities that are going to come. Make the most of them. Be be ready to seize that moment. Dr. MacArthur said this, God has set boundaries to our lives and our opportunity for service exists only within those boundaries. He's the one who establishes them. He's the one who says, okay, here you go. Here's your chance. I'm giving you an opportunity right now. And that's why we need to be careful how we live. That's why we need to be wise about how we go about our lives because these opportunities are going to come and we have to be ready to, 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 to capitalize on them. Beloved, this was Saul's moment, his opportunity to step up and serve the Lord, be a hero, but his fears paralyze him. He's got his mind on the Terminator instead of the God who created the Terminator. See, God created Goliath when Goliath was in his mother's womb. God did that. And what Saul is doing is is he's just simply looking at Goliath and he's forgetting about the very God who created Goliath. And so fear has just gripped his soul I think first Peter chapter one really sums up where Saul's life is maybe at this point. Peter says, and remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. And in my opinion, Saul wasn't living in reverent fear of God at this moment in his life. And so he allows this opportunity to serve God to slip away. And and by the way, when when the Bible uses terms like uh, reverent fear, he's not God doesn't want us to fear him. Like, who, you know, he just wants us to understand who he is in relationship to who we are. That he's God. He's God. And you ought to live with with the humility about that. One of the things I I really loved about the man that married my daughter recently is that he had a reverential fear of me. (laughs) Really. Hey, listen. Mom, Dad, don't, don't you have any part of a wedding of your kid, if whoever they're marrying doesn't have some sort of reverential fear of you. Not that I, Brandon doesn't fear me, ooh, ooh, But you know what? He understands who I am. I'm Megan's father. Aaron is Megan's mother. These are very special people in her life. They're the ones that brought her into the world. They're the ones that have raised her, and I'm going to honor them. As such, see. Why would you ever want to allow your daughter or your son to marry somebody who doesn't have some sort of reference point as to who you are? And the same thing is true with us with God. He's the creator. He's the one who puts you together in your mother's womb. You ought to have a reverential fear of him. Honor him, a respect of who he is. You, you live humbly before him. Saul is not doing that. He's sitting in his tent afraid because he's forgotten who God is. He's allowing the you know a, a terminator to get him all freaked out. Napoleon said this, quote. There is in the midst of every great battle a 10 to 15 minute period that is the crucial point. Take that period and you win the battle. Lose it and you'll be defeated. Now that's not the word of God. And I don't even really know if it's true, maybe. But I think what he's saying there is this, listen. There are these opportunities that come and you better be ready. Because if you miss the opportunity, boy, you could blow the whole thing. And that's why our brother Paul says, hey, be careful how you live, Christian. Be careful. Because these opportunities are going to come to serve the Lord, and then they're going to go away. They're going to go away. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter six, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those that belong to the family of of faith. We we won't always have opportunities to, to serve the Lord. But when they come, boy, And here's the deal, God has put before us a lot of opportunities, hasn't he? In fact, here's a question I want you to wrestle around with. Has God put before you an opportunity to serve him and for whatever reason you're not seizing the moment? Just think about that. I don't want to read a fun story, a great story, and, and not at least challenge your thinking. Has God put before you some opportunity to serve him and for whatever reason, you're not seizing the moment? Maybe, maybe like Saul, you're afraid. Maybe you're too busy to get involved. Maybe you're not living in reverent fear of God right now. Maybe you're just lazy, I don't know. But an opportunity has been put in front of you by God to serve him. Some opportunity. Some opportunity. And for whatever reason, you're making the choice not to capitalize on it. This brings me uh, to Act Three, okay? Curtains shut. They just opened up. A teenage boy seizes the moment. David slays a giant. <laughs> Here's the deal. If you don't pull the trigger on the opportunity, God has somebody else waiting. There's always somebody else who'll pick up the ball if you choose to fumble it, always somebody else. Look at verse 26. David asked a soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this this Philistine and ending this defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. The Bible goes on, but when David, old, David's oldest brother, Eliab heard David, David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride. I know about your deceit. You just wanna see the battle. You just wanna be a looky-loo. What have I done now? Remember, he's a teenager. What have I done now? I was only asking a question. So he walked over to some others and he asked them the same thing and he received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to to, to King Saul and King sent for him. And in verse 32, David says, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Here's this teenage kid standing in front of great King Saul Here are all of the the, the captains of the army, all of the the lieutenants of the army, all of the corporals. They all got their, their swords and their helmets and their breastplates on. And here's a kid in a loincloth standing around all these hardened soldiers. Hey, Saul, I'll take him on. I'll do it. I want to make sure you get this. David was a shepherd. He took care of the family farm, if you will. But he had three brothers that were in the Israelite army. And one day, uh, David's father, Jesse, made up, I don't know, three sack lunches and said, Hey, David, I want you to go to to, to the valley there, the Valley of Elam. I want you to take these three sack lunches to your brothers. I want you to check on them and then when you're done, come back and let me know how they're doing. Let me know how the battle's going. And uh, dad says, hey, just leave the, the sheep with somebody else. Somebody else can tend to them. I, 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 know, I wanna know how my sons are doing. So David takes these three sack lunches and you know, makes his way to this Israeli camp up, in the, up on the you know, the mountain. And when he gets there, he he comes across all this action. He hears Goliath taunting and cursing the the God of Israel and David can't believe his ears. He's thinking to himself, why isn't somebody doing something about this? Why isn't anybody taking advantage of this opportunity? Here's an opportunity to serve God and what are you all doing? Sitting in your Barca loungers doing nothing. Beloved, David was ready and willing to do what Saul wasn't. Because he was ready and willing, he was willing to seize the day. We all know the story as David and Goliath. In other words, God takes out the cosmic eraser and erases the name of Saul. And now the name of David is written in. And people today, even non-believers they all have heard the story of David and Goliath. They don't know who Saul is, don't have a clue, but they know the story of David and Goliath. As I said, it should have been Saul and Goliath. You know, one of the things that is really interesting about the journey of faith is That these opportunities that God lays before us, um, if you choose or I choose not to take advantage of it, God has somebody else waiting. There's somebody else in the wings. I I don't know if you've ever been to San Francisco at night and you're going across the bridge and one of the things you see are uh, all of these planes and they're all kind of backed up. And it looks like they're, you know, about 10 feet apart, but you kind of look out and there's a plane and there's a plane and there's a plane and they're all coming in and one will land and, and then another lands. And literally the, the planes could be, I, I've seen them 10 deep and that literally goes on all the time. There's just one plane after another plane after another plane, and they're all landing at San Francisco International Airport. And that's a great picture of the church. (laughs) Don't ever think that if you fumble an opportunity that God goes, oh man, you know, "I'll I'll never be able to accomplish that thing no you know what god's got 10 planes backed up behind you brother 10 planes backed up behind you sister and if you choose to go you know what i I, i'm not getting involved i don't want to do this i don't want to do that then guess what then there's another plane that will land on the tarmac and take your spot none of us are indispensable you can be Any one of us can be replaced in, you know, a a, a heartbeat. Everybody look at verse 38. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of maul or mail. It was a tunic. David put it on, he strapped the sword over and he took a step or two to see what it would feel like, for he had never worn such things before. I I I can't go in these. He protested to Saul. I'm not not used to him. So David took him off. So here you got this custom-fitted, you know, breastplate and custom-fitted sword and helmet and all this. And Saul says to David, hey, look, come here, kid. Let me put my stuff on you. And the kid puts it on, and it's just hanging on him. And he says, hey, king, I, I don't need any of this stuff. I appreciate, you know, the, you know, you thinking of me, but I don't need this stuff. So he picked up five smooth stones from a stream, and he put them into a shepherd's bag, and, you know, a lot of scholars try to determine why did he pick up five? We really don't know. I, I like to think that, you know, he knew he was, one was going to be used for Goliath, and Goliath had four brothers, and maybe he thought, okay, listen, man, if these four guys come at me, I need uh, I need to make sure my magazine is filled. <laughs> you know, you never go into a war with just one bullet in your magazine. You got to fill up the whole magazine, right? So his magazine was filled with rocks. <laughs> then, armed only with a shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. He, beloved, you can read this story in about two minutes. But you got to meditate on it. you got to put yourself in the, you know, Israelite army. Ma- imagine you're up there. And this kid says, I, I, I don't need this stuff. And you know everybody was talking. And all of a sudden you see this kid walking down into the valley. And he's got no gear on. He, he doesn't have anything on. And then you see him reach down into the lake, you know, the little river, a little stream down there, and you you see him pick up five rocks and put them into his bag. And you you just got to wonder, what's this? Oh, this is ugly. And then you got to imagine you're on the Philistine side. And, hey, send out a warrior, take me on. And here are all these hardened soldiers. Scars on their faces, scars on their arms, man. They're battle-tested, and there they all are. And out comes this kid. (laughs) I mean, mean, this is quite a scene. God's going to make sure that everybody knows who wins this battle. You got the... Terminator with a thyroid condition versus a punk kid with no armor on, no helmet on. He doesn't have a spear with a 15 pound bowling ball on the end of it. He's got one of these. This is just unbelievable. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his God. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. I mean, this is a serious moment. David replied to the Philistines, You come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of of heaven's army, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I'll kill you, and I'm going to cut off your head. That's right, that's what I'm talking about. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in heaven. And everyone here assembled will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and a spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he'll give you to us. So here you got this, and this whole thing's going down. You got the... You got the Israeli army up here, and you got his three brothers up there. You know, boy, these are the kind of brothers you want, right? Hey, got your back, bro. Not these guys. Man, these three guys are up there going, dude, man, one less mouth to feed. I never liked the kid anyway. <laughs> I mean, it a, it just a, you got this picture in your mind: nine, ten foot guy. Little, little punk teenager, and there they are, down in the valley of Elam, ready to go to, you know, to to rumble. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran to meet him. Reaching into a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it at with this, with this sling, and he hit the Philistine in the forehead, and the stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and and fell face down on the ground. Now, yeah, this is one of those moments where, where you wish you had, you know, ESPN slow-motion cameras. I mean, here's this moment, just, you know, and, and 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 little David starts to do this. And you just have to imagine these guys over here were going, oh, oh boy, this is, this is not good. You gotta be kidding me. Really, that's, a, that's the best we got? Is a guy with a slingshot? <laughs> and these guys over here must have been thinking, what a joke this is. Oh man, you know what, Goliath is not, he's just gonna punch him and it's over. He'll. Be tapping out in a, in a heartbeat. This is not even going to be a, a, a battle. And then all of a sudden, David lets the rock go. <laughs> now, I don't know. This is the way I think. I, Dave, David was human, and we're going to see next week in the story of God Doesn't Come Back how human David is. And, and I just got to believe when he let that rock go. He was thinking to himself, dude, that's got a shot. That's got a chance. I mean, it's going, right, it's going in the right direction. You gotta believe that there were guys up here going, dude. At least it's going in the right you know, direction. You know, the Philistines were going, okay, it's going in the right direction, but what could a rock possibly do? And all of a sudden, you know, the perfect spot just, <laughs> Hey look, David was human And I know he had a lot of faith But you know, you know he had to go Whoa That, that like hit him <laughs> And he had to be worried Because if it just nicked him Then he'd be really upset you know? So you don't want to nick the guy And make him mad So you you're the. What if you're one of these guys Dude, that thing just hit him In the forehead I saw blood shoot out Whoa, that little kid threw a rock and it just hit the Terminator, our champion. And all of a sudden, <laughs> imagine that moment. Imagine your Saul, the king. And there's a punk kid down there doing what you should have been doing. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sleep. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. So he's not even dead yet. And he goes over and he pulls out his sword. That must have been quite a sight. (laughs) you know he just boom wow wow what an incredible moment what an unbelievable moment gives me goosebumps every time I read the story David ran towards Goliath with a slingshot while Saul watched from the comfort of his tent. David takes advantage of the opportunity to serve the Lord while Saul basically does nothing. Now I wanna ask you a question, and I I know it's gonna sting some of you, but I'm gonna ask the question anyway because I believe the Holy Spirit's gonna use it in some of your lives. He used it in a lot of people's lives last night. Big Valley Grace has uh, lots and lots of people serving the Lord uh, 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 around here throughout the week. In fact, thousands of people have taken advantage of the opportunities that are here in our church, in our community, to serve the Lord. God has put before a lot of people opportunities. Uh, opportunities to play in the orchestra, opportunities to sing in the choir, opportunities to sing, opportunities to teach, all kinds of opportunities God has laid before the people here at Big Valley grapes And thousands of people have said, Count me in. I'm not sitting in a tent. I'm, I'm, I want to be, be engaged in this, in this battle. But I also know that there are people in this church, every church, um, that aren't serving the Lord anywhere. Oh, you like the chairs, you like the air conditioning, you, you, you enjoy the music, uh, uh, you enjoy the fact that your children are being discipled, uh, you, you know, you like the cafe, you like the fellowship, you like all the stuff that we do, but when that little basket goes by, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not engaging in this thing. I just like all the comforts that this place provides. But actually sacrificing, you know, you realize that the MID doesn't say, hey, listen, because you're a church, I'm just going to give you free electricity. You know, I don't do that. The the chair companies don't go, hey, you know what, because you're a church and you do all these good things, we're going to give you free chairs. No, we had to buy them. Do you realize that every song that we sang this morning, we had to pay for? The people who write those songs don't go, hey listen, I'll let you sing those songs for free. Imagine buying a, a, a piece of sheet music for each, every, every individual choir member, every individual orchestra member. We don't just buy one and then make copies and hand it out like a lot of churches do. That, that's unethical. We had to buy a, a, a piece of sheet music for every single person. There's a practical sense of saying, hey, I, I want to be involved here. Thank the Lord somebody said, hey, count me in, and they're, they're, they're uh, being a blessing to your children or your grandchildren right now. And they're doing their best to love them and care for them and create an environment of fellowship for them and a fun environment that looks fun and is fun. And they're learning about Jesus Christ, our youth, whatever it is we do around here. And I'm so grateful for for all of the, the Davids of this church who an opportunity was put before them. And you seize the moment. You got up out of your chair and said, count me in. And yeah, maybe you didn't slay some ginormous giant, but you seized whatever that opportunity was in front of you right now. But some of you are still in your chairs. You're still in your tent. And maybe this is the moment where you go, you know what, it's time for me to trust the Lord. It's time for me to go, wow, I gotta seize the moment. I I gotta live differently. I have to invest some of my life, some of my time in being a blessing to my my church family or some of the great ministries in in our community. Some of you need to call Pastor Scott Butler this week and tell him you'd like to serve in the choir or the band. And I know you're afraid. I know you're afraid. Well, man, I'm not as good a singer as this person. I can't play the trumpet as good as Bill. Maybe so, but you know that's what you're supposed to do. Some of you need to call Julie Elliott or Lisa DeMont this week and tell them that you'd like to serve in, in children's ministries. Some of you need to call Pastor Aaron Youngman this week and tell him you want to serve in Club 56. Some of you need to call Pastor Mark Basevich and tell him you want to serve in, in junior high. Some of you need to call Pastor Tim Gianosa this week and tell him you'd like to serve in our high school ministry. Some of you need to call Alan Boone this week and say, hey, listen, I'm not sure where I could serve, but, 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 but help, me, help me find my place. I, I need to get on one of the, the his team's. And I know it can be scary. I remember the first time, literally, I remember the very first time 30 years, 30 plus years ago, when I was asked to teach my first lesson over in the J building to a bunch of junior hires. And I thought back on that message this week and I thought, it was horrible. <laughs> it was just horrible. Just, just horrible. It, it, it was, it was, it was, it, no, no. I wish it was horrible. It, it was so lame. I had you know, my notes and the fall on the ground. I picked them all up. Everything was, you know, the wrong illustration at the wrong moment. It, the whole thing was horrible. But I got better. And I don't know what it is you're supposed to do. I don't know what that opportunity is before you. And the first time you do whatever it is you do, you know what? You may drop the communion thing. And the worst case scenario is i got to pay for someone's right cleaning. you get better at it. You may miss a note or two. You get better at it. Some teenager may stump you with a question in your small group. Next time, you'll have the answer. I know it's, it's scary. So what what do you learn from this story that might be able to help you get over your fear? Well, I wish I had time to read it, but, but one of the things that David does is he tells Saul, Saul says, hey, look, you, you don't have a chance, kid, against this warrior. And, and David says this, David says, no, 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 Saul, you don't understand. See, I've been a shepherd, and there have been times when a bear has came, or lions came, and I've, you know, I've taken a rock and you know, threw it and knocked the lion crazy, and then I went over and beat that lion, man, and tore his jaws open. I've taken on bears and lions. See, one of the things that David did was um, he remembered. And one of the great things that will help you overcome your fear of whatever the Goliath is in your life is simply your memory. Remember all the great things that God has already done in your life, in your family, in your business. Remember all of the great things that are found in Scripture. Remember all of the great promises that are in this book. Remember all the great attributes of God. You see, one of the things that'll get you beyond your fear is simply remembering. You gotta remember. See, one of the things, you know, oh man, I don't know if I can get involved, I got this, that, is is fear makes you forget. And you forget about how great God is, how awesome God is, how faithful God's already been in your life, or how faithful God's already been in your family, or whatever, you see. And let me quickly give you act four. The faith of one person inspired a nation. God delivered the victory to his people. If you look at verse 51, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran like a bunch of cowards. Because of one guy, one kid. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph, woo! And they rushed after the Philistines chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron the, the bodies of the dead and the wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sharam as far as Gath and e- Ekron one kid's faith one and you got a whole Philistine army running scared with their tails between their legs. And all of a sudden, all these Philistines on, or, or Israelites on this side, they were all freaked out over this thing. Yeah, you can see him. Can't you see him pulling their swords? Yeah, let's go. Man, and they're chasing the Philistines and killing them all along the way. Why? One person, one, one person believes God. It's all took, and it inspired a whole nation. I love to hear the stories of those that were facing a Goliath in their marriage, and they made a decision to be like David, and they trusted God for a miracle, and they saw Goliath hit the ground, and their marriage was saved. It pumps me up. One of the things we like to do is when your marriage is in in a bad place is just get you with others whose marriages have been in a bad place, and now they're walking with the Lord It'll pump you up, get you excited. I love to hear the stories of those that were facing a Goliath and their health, and they made a decision to be like David, and they trusted God for a miracle, and they called for the elders of the church to pray for them, and they saw Goliath hit the ground, and their health was restored. I love to hear the stories Those that were facing a Goliath and their finances and they made a decision to be like David and they they trusted God for a miracle and they went through our compass financial classes and they saw Goliath hit the ground. And today they're managing their money in a God-honoring way instead of their money managing them. Love to hear the stories of those that were facing a Goliath in the area of serving. They were afraid to serve, and yet they made a decision to be like David, and they trusted God, and they saw Goliath at the ground, and now they're serving the Lord somewhere around here at Big Valley Grace. Some of these choir members and orchestra members and people you see serving here with great smiles, enjoying their faces, when they first started, man, some of them, whew, but they just stepped out in faith, and their stories are are unbelievable. David's faith really inspired a nation while Saul's disobedience brought everybody down. And the same thing's true for you, beloved. You know, your kids are watching you, dad. Your kids are watching you, mom. Your grandkids are watching you, grandpa. Your grandkids are watching you, grandma. People are watching you. Your spouse is watching you. Hey, kids, you know what? Your parents are watching you. Your friends are watching you. And how you choose to live matters. You can either inspire them with your faith or you can just kind of lull them into complacency with your you know, disobedience. You, you may not inspire a nation, but you, you can inspire your family. You can inspire your employees. You, you can inspire the people in your small group. You can inspire all kinds of people with your trust in God, just like David did. So, Act One was wars on the horizon. Act Two is a giant scares a king. Act Three was a teenage boy seizes the moment, and Act Four, one person's faith inspires a nation. Over in the venue, I want you to stand. Everybody else in here, stand, and let me, let me, let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you, Lord, for today and last night. I thank in advance for the next hour, Lord. I'm grateful that this is a church. It's just filled with with Davids. There's a lot of Davids in this room. People who really trust you. They know you're God. They they know how great and awesome and mighty you are. And though they might be afraid in some areas, they 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 still step out in faith, trust in you, and. Man, it's one of the things that makes this such a a great church. But I do want to pray for those that are a little bit afraid right now. They know they're supposed to do something. They might even know what that is. Lord, may this story inspire them to get up out of their chair and say, Hey, count me in. I I need to serve someplace whether it be in this church, the community, there's a lot of places. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness to us. Thank you for the scriptures that have stories like this that are just unbelievable. God, you're good, and I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, Lord bless you guys, okay, live for Jesus.